0: This little guy living in a culture that is not overly kind, is not overly loving, craving just this physical, human connection.
1: That you're willing to do, put everything aside to just go into their humanity for that moment and give them the attention they so desperately
2: desire. And now I get to partner with this ministry that's doing a work in a place in Honduras that I didn't even know existed until I got to visit and see it. And this is how the kingdom of God expands.
3: Around the world, thousands of children live in extreme poverty, but we can make a difference. Child Sponsorship Matters, One Child, Honduras. And here it is, the first episode of Child Sponsorship Matters. I am David A. Dean, and I am sitting down with Farron Dice of One Child. And boy, we had so much fun. And we got to see God move in amazing ways into Galpa Honduras. So, Farron, you're with One Child, the organization that sent a ragtag group of radio professionals down to learn about the work that they
4: do. And
3: to learn about why child sponsorship matters. So, why does child sponsorship
4: matter? There are a lot of great child sponsorship ministries out there. One Child is just one of those. But child sponsorship, which is really on the other side, it's child development. It really is the proven formula for long-term change in a community, in a country, and around the world. We wanna develop kids into believing in themselves. And of course you have to start with, are they provided for? Because people living in extreme poverty they have a really hard time uh, until you get past the poverty part, right? Like. Feed me and then we can talk. And you sent
3: a group of radio professionals down to Honduras. And that's the story we're going to be telling through the next uh, four episodes of this podcast. What was it about Honduras that made you go, that's where I want these people
4: to get a glimpse of what one child does? Honduras is, boy, is a nation that is not that far from the U.S. It's only a couple hours flight from Houston or Miami but i'm telling you there's extreme poverty in Honduras it's one of the countries that we work in and it's also the murder capital of the world so we knew that was a country where you could really see the work and not just you know some of the the milder things but you saw extreme poverty you saw uh, areas where we have a hope center right in the middle of a very gang infested area one of the members of our team uh, sat there on the bus and told you guys yeah i i, I wouldn't feel safe without being on this bus with you all, I wouldn't feel safe driving down into this neighborhood, but here we have a Hope Center serving kids in one of the most impoverished and dangerous areas of the world. So let's get things started. This is the adventure that 15
3: friends went on to see what one child does and why child sponsorship matters. Flying into Galpa, Honduras is not for the faint of heart. Very short runway, houses on both sides. It feels like there's people everywhere. I'll let one of the members of our travel group tell the story of what it was like when he first landed in Honduras. Alan, can you get us started? I really didn't
0: know what to expect when first arriving in Honduras. And I'd, I'd been reading about the country. I thought it looked like a beautiful country. And that was confirmed when flying into Honduras and before we landed. Just gorgeous mountainous country covered in you know kind of these semi-tropical trees. It was beautiful. I was also really surprised to land and city immediately across the street a pizza hut. So many pizza huts. And quite possibly one of my biggest disappointments about the trip is that we didn't order crunchy hot cheese, which was a pepperoni pizza from Pizza Hut. They don't have this in America. Covered in Lay's potato chips where the crust is. It looked amazing. So I was really surprised to see all of these classic fast food restaurants that I would eventually come to find out in Honduras. They only go there if it's a really special occasion. And on top of that, it was just kind of wild to see like big skyscraper, quote unquote, beautiful buildings right next to just like this rundown tiny shack where somebody lived. It gave the very clear impression that the wealth distribution was all over the place you clearly had very wealthy people and very poor people and they were right next to each other
3: another person that came on the trip was andy and andy you know an awful lot about a short-term mission trips. you've actually been on a few with one child so what was your first impression when you got to
1: honduras the journey really starts as soon as you land in the country and you realize well i'm not in america anymore and when you get on the bus and you go onto the highway and then you start going onto dirt road and then to smaller dirt roads and then to things that you think, I, I don't even know if the van should be driving on this road. It's a quick wake-up call of the difference between how I live and how people in other countries live every single day.
3: So, Farron, we're going to say these two words an awful lot. hope Center, All the work that one child does in the community starts at the Hope Center. So what
4: is a Hope Center? One child works in 14 countries. We have uh, over 300 Hope Centers and they're all connected to a local church. And they're also driven and and led by local leaders. We believe strongly that the local leaders should be serving children and determining how the work is done. So uh, in Honduras, the first morning we woke up, we took you to that first Hope Center, right part of a church right in the middle of some of the toughest, most dangerous areas of Honduras. But they are there serving and loving and teaching and feeding children at that Hope Center. So this first Hope Center, is this typical of Hope Centers
3: throughout the world? Or is it? Is every Hope Center different? Does every Hope Center take
4: on the... The aspects of their communities? I think the answer is yes and yes. I mean, there's certainly, uh, again, always working with a local church, uh, but there are certainly different needs in different countries. When you sponsor a child, you know that your child is being served by a local leader, a local child champion. And they're finding out about Jesus. They're getting fed. They're getting nutritional assistance. We're doing other things for these families, too, as the needs arise. The first moment where I'm like, hey, man, I really like this Farron guy. Um, we were
3: in one of the classrooms, and you looked at this sign that was up on the wall. And you you looked at one of the translators and said, hey, can you read
4: that for me? What is? I love this idea that this is on the wall in a hope center in one of the most impoverished areas in the world. And children are hearing this message.
2: Children, I know you've been able to do whatever you want. If you need something, ask for it. I'm very proud of you. You know I love you. I know you can go wherever you want. I know that you are kind. I believe in what you say. I know every day that you are better. You're very special. You're unique and important.
3: So our bus pulls up at the First Hope Center. We're ushered into this auditorium-like room, and this little girl walks up to the microphone and invites us to the Hope Center.
2: Dios God bless you. I'm very glad that you're visiting us at this place. contenta and I am very happy because you are here with us. Y que el Señor los bendiga. And may the Lord bless you. Y mi cordial saludo para todos ustedes. And my best greetings for you, all of you. Y le doy gracias. And I thank you. Porque han estado con nosotros aquí. Because you are with us today. Bienvenidos esta es su casa. Welcome, this is your house. Adiós. Bye.
3: <laughs> Courtney is another really wonderful person that went on our trip. Courtney, could you give your first impressions of the Hope Center?
2: The very first Hope Center that we visited um, was right across the street from gang members' homes. And that's something that sticks out to me as I remember that first Hope Center, thinking of how close we were to homes of people that need the Lord and also that could potentially ruin a child's life if that child were to get involved in the gang, and yet these gang members were also supportive of the Hope Center and almost protective of it. Staff members and the pastor that um, worked at that Hope Center told us that they're protective of the Hope Center because they know that one child is doing something good for the community. Even some of the children that were at the Hope Centers are children of gang members, and. I just thought, wow, how far reaching this is. Like the child goes home and shares what they've learned about at the Hope Center. They've learned about Jesus. They've learned about their identity as a child of God. And they can take that back into a gang member's home. And that gang member could potentially get saved because of what this their child is sharing with them. And their child is able to reach into their parents' hearts in a way that maybe another adult would not be able to do.
1: So they bring us into this big old um church sanctuary and they do a little performance for us and share about them. And then we are supposed to share about us. And I just have this humbling feeling of these kids have no idea who I am. I mean, honestly, I don't think I'd remember some random people showing up when I was a kid at my school or something like that much later than that day. So I'm just trying to think of what do I say to them? That is going to impact them or just to let them know that I'm just so honored to be there. So they get to me and they and I say, hello, my name's Andy and I love to play sports and I can't wait to play soccer with you later and i've got some soccer balls to share and so they all cheered after i mentioned yeah i can't wait to play soccer with you not thinking much more of it and it was going to happen but then you know we started having you know it's one two three hours go by lunch is served we're handing out toys to the kids that are leaving the care centers and some new ones are coming in and finally one of the interpreters comes up to me he goes andy there is a group of people that are waiting for you to play soccer with them you better play soccer with them (laughs) They had remembered that I had mentioned something about it. And I thought, okay, this is great. So we go out to the field, which is just, it's a patch of dirt. And that's generous, I think, to say that. Because really it was rocky soil. So it was a bunch of rocks. And so, and not only were all these kids there around the field waiting, but I guess a local uh, team of kids that played together organized soccer they came with their jerseys ready to take on the Americans. And now I'm thinking, do they think that we're some sort of a soccer team and we're going to give them a competition? You know, we're going to actually give them some real competition because I've never really played soccer. Uh, I had brought a bunch of soccer balls for them. And so I thought this is this might not end well for us. And the, the, even the more interesting thing I thought was they were not only waiting for us to play them, but they were also waiting for us to supply the soccer ball. They didn't have a soccer ball. I asked um, Eva, who was one of our interpreters and works with this Hope Center, and I said, don't you guys have a soccer ball here? You have the field. And she said, no, if we do have one, it's usually pretty tore up. So I was honored to be able to have these soccer balls that uh, people donated at my station to give. So we start playing, and uh, very quickly, I think these kids realized that we (laughs) we were no match for them. The only thing we had on them was uh, height, (laughs) pretty much. But as we're playing, um, I realized that I'm a little more vocal than other people, and I'm ultra-competitive even when I'm not good at things, so I was I was getting really into it. And so, I don't know if it was something that I said, or they said, it was probably me, but somehow the legend of El Toro began. It's one of the few words I know in Spanish, I don't know how I remembered that that meant the bull, but I thought, how great would that be, that I'm El Toro? And so... I don't think I ever actually scored a goal, but every time I came close or I would would shoot on goal and miss and it went out of bounds, I would go, El Toro! But I would put horns on my head and I'd run around like I was a bull, like I was sticking my head down and charging. And they laughed. I'm pretty sure at me, not with me, and I'm okay with that. I know with my kids that it doesn't matter what you do with them. As long as you're spending time with them, you're showing them that you care, that they mean so much to you, that you're willing to do put everything aside to just go into their humanity for that moment and give them the attention they so desperately desire. So that's my hope for that one, that those kids, that they felt that for that moment, that these crazy Americans came to their country just to show them love and to let them know that God loves them through... The universal language of soccer, or I guess as they would say, football.
0: Everyone had rushed out onto the field to play soccer, but of course you could only have a, a few players. And everyone had gotten there before me. So I'll admit, I was, I was a little mad. I was a little bummed. I was like, ah, oh, man. I was kind of grumpy. I wanted to play soccer. Ah, oh, fine. And I went and sat down. And I'm still kind of grumbling. When this young boy, who I came to find out, was six years old. And he started speaking to me in Spanish, and sadly I do not speak very good Spanish. And then he just came over, he put his hand on my knee, and then he just leaned into me. And it was just the sweetest thing. It reminded me exactly of my four-year-old son, this little guy living in a culture that is not overly kind, is not overly loving, craving just this physical, human Connection and him just having this moment, like you could almost feel this release when he just came over and leaned against me. Like, just this love of being next to an adult who was there to love him too, even for just a very brief moment. Oh, and at that moment, I could not tell you how happy I was that I had not gotten a chance to play soccer.
3: On that first ride to the Hope Center, I sat next to a guy named David, he's in charge of all the hope centers throughout the country of Honduras. And he sort of gave me a crash course in Honduras. When we talk about poverty in Honduras, Honduras has got this issue, we sort of have it here in the United States, that the very poor will almost never come in contact with even the middle class, that the kind of poverty that a lot of the children we're talking about live in is a poverty that keeps you stuck where you are. So you can live in Honduras and not know that a few neighborhoods over, there is extreme poverty, that people are living in makeshift homes, that honestly, we walked through a couple of homes, and it was basically you had one or two rooms inside, and then the rest of it was outside. And in these tiny little cramped homes that you and I could never live in, there'd be four or five, six people living. Typically, it was a mom and her four or five kids. Um, dad is usually out somewhere working trying to make ends meet, or he's not in the picture at all. And so it makes for this really weird thing where you walk into these villages where the houses aren't that nice. Some of them are crumbling. They're, they're cozy, I, I guess is a nice word for it. And I was talking with the director, David, of One Child, and he basically like, you've got two options if you live in this kind of extreme poverty. Option number one is to join the gang. And when you join the gang, you're basically joining the mob, or you're joining organized crime, or, or you're going to be forced to um, protect your turf to the death. Or you can go to the Hope Center. And what's so cool about the Hope Center is they give them education, they give them food, they give them smiles. And I was talking with the pastor at one of these hope centers, and this is a vision I will never forget. And he's telling me these horrible stories about what it's like to be in the gangs, what it's like to be so desperate, your only option is to join a gang for a leg up. And the whole time he's telling me these, this story of violence and anger and hate, all I can hear behind him is the laughter of children in the hope center, that they live in such a bleak place. But because of one child, and because of gifts and child sponsorships, all of these children can laugh because they have hope and they have Jesus.
0: I remember one really impactful moment was when sitting in one of the classrooms watching them teach about Jesus, and the teacher, and we're learning this through an interpreter, was teaching the kids about kindness. And love, and they're acting out scenarios. Or if someone is mean to you, how do you behave? And they're teaching them how to be kind and loving and Christ like, which was phenomenal because this was a culture where a reaction would typically be met with violence. It was a culture that was surrounded by gangs and violence. And here they are teaching these kids about kindness and love. And it blew me away to realize that these children were then taking this information back to their parents and they're changing the lives of their parents. And I quickly realized that the only hope for Honduras was the hope centers. And boy, that sunk in when 11 year old Caleb basically preached at us. And it was maybe the most impactful sermon I've ever heard in my life. 11 years old. And he was preaching on the teaching of to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to become like a child. And here was this child telling us, what that meant to him. And he was saying how adults hold on to things. They hold on to grudges. They never forget people or they never forgive people. But kids forgive. Kids naturally have joy. And to hear this child who I am certain is going to be a preacher, preaching to us, and then you know he's going out into his community and the children are teaching love and kindness, man, it just blew me away.
2: I was so struck at this first hope center we visited, so struck by the pastor's heart and his vision for the community. The whole hope center had started from scratch. It was it was nothing at first. The the land that the the buildings were on had actually been a garbage dump to begin with. And this pastor had a vision just for a church at first. And once he was connected with one child, the vision grew and therefore their buildings grew and And he just put his faith out there for bigger and more, not to build his own name, not to build the name of his church, but to build the kingdom of God. And that heart was so, it it just like permeated everything about that Hope Center. I, I just, I saw the vision and I just think, wow, what God can do with that? And as a pastor's daughter myself, I sat and I watched, you know, the history of this church being built and where we were seated, you know, that it, it that whole building had come through prayer and had come through teamwork and community and a heart for the kingdom. And I thought about my own church through the years. My dad had pastored for 21 years, and I thought about the fact that God knew the vision of my dad as a pastor in Indiana, in the United States, and he also simultaneously knew the vision of this pastor in Tegucigalpa, Honduras. And he knows the vision of millions of other pastors and millions of other people that are part of churches throughout the world. And he cares about every single one of them. And he has a plan and a purpose for every single place. And it's just, it's more than my mind can comprehend. And I think, wow, one child is a part of that. And now I get to partner with this ministry that's doing a work in a place in Honduras that I didn't even know existed until I got to visit and see it. And this is how the kingdom of God expands.
3: Thank you so much for that, Courtney. That's right, you, the local church in Honduras and around the world, working together will help take children out of extreme poverty. That's why child sponsorship matters. So Farron, somebody's listened to this first episode and wants
4: to, and has already got the vision, how do they get involved with one child? We can't solve the problems of all the world, but what if you can sponsor one child and change the world for one child? I think you can. This is your moment. $39 a month, by the way. We'll see that a child is fed, a child is receiving proper nutrition helping them with their education, and so many other things. Of course, most importantly, that child is going to find out about Jesus and the purpose they have in life. So we're really talking about would you sponsor one child? We believe that sponsoring one child is world-changing. You are a champion if you're willing to do that. Find the perfect child from
3: Honduras or anywhere in 14 different countries at onechild.org. And next week on the podcast, we are going to present to you One Child, the ministry. And uh, so what are we going to be expecting next week, Farron?
4: Well, I can't wait to introduce you to uh, One Child president, Scott Todd, who uh, has this long history of working in in child development, because again, child development is changing the world. And let me just tease a little bit and say, Dr. Scott believes, and we're seeing evidence that we can eliminate Poverty in the world, extreme poverty in you and I's lifetime, in our lifetime. That's a bold and radical statement. We'll unpack that a little bit in the next episode. And you're probably like, what? Eliminate poor? Stick around for that.
3: Join us next week right here on Child Sponsorship Matters, One Child Honduras. This podcast is a production of Northwestern Media.